Hello and welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, our podcast that looks at vintage cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended audience, still captivated by the glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I am Stephen Alexander. And I am Jason Thompson. And we have survived Transformers the movie. It's true. It's true. We have, yes. It's onslaught of new characters. It's incredibly exciting pounding soundtrack. It's huge upgrade in the quality of the animation, which looked streets ahead of anything that the show had produced before. And now we are plunging into series three of the Transformers. Do you have any expectations for season three going into it? Well, um, it's going to have all these new characters that we met in the movie. Uh, it's going to be fantastically animated. It's going to visit all sorts of weird and wonderful locations. Uh, and it's basically going to be the Autobots doing, you know, Autobot things, because at the end of the movie, they said the Cybertronian Wars were finished. So yes, they, that's it. There's no more fighting they, going on or anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to make ring much drama out of that. So Rodimus Prime, he stood uh, on the ruins of Cybertron and the smashed up. Actually, we see a bit of this at the start of the episode. So we get some exciting new titles to begin with and a new soundtrack. And this features in short order a Unicron head, Rat Bat, lots of Blitz wings for some reason, Metroplex fighting Trypticon. People don't even know who those guys are. Wheelie and Blur, Galvatron. Galvatron and his badge turns up and it lands on Blaster for some reason. And you get some Sharkticons and Cop, Cup, Rod and Ultra Magnus running towards the screen in excitement with a new sort of ha, ha, ha kind of soundtrack. What do you think of the season three titles? I love them. They're my favourites. I really, really like them. <laughs> they so they they outshine even seasons because I, I really love the sort of the grinding intro to season two, but this is this is your 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 best version you think? Oh yeah, this this is my favourite absolutely. I I love it. Yeah, it's tremendous. I think I think it's tremendously exciting. I, I I am torn. I think they're all pretty amazing, but yeah, this one I, maybe it's by association. Maybe it's not quite as I don't quite like it as much as season two, but yeah, it is still exciting. It's great. It's great to have a new new title, particularly after uh, how many forty nine episodes with the old title. It's not, nice to get a bit of a change in there, isn't it? Yeah, well, especially as a bunch of the characters in the old titles have been killed off, so we can't have them anymore. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we'll keep a track on, well, we'll try and keep a track on who's dead and who's still alive, because uh, that all goes wrong very early on, as we'll see. But there's a, it starts off with a bit of a recap of the movie. So we've got the bits where they're all flying out of Unicron's eye, and there's lots of excitement going on, lots of explosions. Unicron explodes. And then there we get the voiceover from Victor Caroli, which almost explains what's going on. Do you think people would be able to pick this up from like just watching this if they'd missed the movie? I don't think they'd have any clue what happened in the movie, because I think people who watch the movie haven't got a clue what's happened in the movie. To be honest, it's quite, <laughs> you know, throws a, it throws everything in the kitchen sink at you. Um, I do think it glosses over a fair bit of it because it says the, the wars are over and the Autobots have won. Yeah. Primarily because a giant demon planet robot thing trashed Cybertron and ate half the Decepticons. Yes, uh, I mean <laughs> that's 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 pretty much the scale of their victory there. 
yeah, they 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 kind of let someone else do it in the end. It wasn't a brilliant tactical moment of genius on the path of Optimus Prime, who we shan't be seeing again, or even Rodimus Prime, who is his new replacement. So after that, so after you've been reminded of that, you'd get told that the Decepticons have retreated to the burned out planet of Char. And this is where Transformers dies. This is the precise <laughs> moment that the franchise putters to a halt because after all of that, and after reminding you how good the movie looks, we get this animation of Astro Train that is, I, I know what they're trying to do, but it looks atrocious. What is Astro? Oh, what, what is wrong with it? It is diabolical. It is diabolical. He's he's making a, a, a well, he's making a crash landing basically. Um, the implication, given that all the Decepticons are running very low on energy, and he's trying to transform, and he's, he's just he's just looks so weird. I do like the kind of slowed down. Oh, I can't quite manage to transform kind of sound effect that goes with it, but the way they animate him is just kind of squishy and weird and bizarre. And then when he finally does transform into his train mode, it's the worst looking locomotive animation I've ever seen. Um, it's horrendous. Yeah. So yeah, the the animation quality in the in this episode is just massively down. Um, yeah. Especially as you know, as you say, they they put a clip of two of the movie, and so we got to see how great that was, and then we get this. <laughs> yeah, it's going from it's going from uh, Premier League to uh, I don't even know what division, uh, way down the bottom there in terms of quality. But anyway, so Astro Train lands. He's got a few energon cubes, and Devastator and Menasaur have a big punch up to see who's going to get these energon cubes, and nobody says Menasaur, where have you been? Where have you been? There's been stuff yeah. going on. <laughs> it's it's very, it's very weird. I mean, Devastator has the worst transformation effect I've ever seen for Devastator. As bits of him just kind of morph out of it, just looks terrible. Um, all the Decepticons are fighting over the Energon cubes. Um, yeah, Menasaur swipes Devastator with a sword and causes him to fall apart. And then the Insecticons come swinging in, and this is where they've cocked up who's alive and who's dead. Because it was definitely, it was Kickback and Shrapnel who turn up at this point, and they were definitely among those who were remodelled by Unicron in the movie. Yes, we saw that very clearly, for those who keep track. But I think back in the day, oh no, but it would have got a VHS release, so you could have watched it again. They can't rely on people not remembering anymore. So anyway, so these sex cons start, but then they disappear as well, just as quickly, So so they're not in it a huge amount. But talking of characters from the movie being reformatted, the actual Insecticons turn up because it's Cyclonus and Scourge and the Sweeps. And they say that uh, they, they turn up and they try to rally the troops. And they're saying, you know, it wasn't like this in the days of Megatron. And Cyclonus says, you mean Galvatron. And then they're all like, hell, Galvatron. And Astro Train very, very amusingly points out. Well, they were the same guy. Yeah, that, that I do enjoy. Um, evidently somebody filled them in on what happened because <clears throat> that was that was no one was witness to that really so somebody somewhere mentioned it obviously but i mean I've, I've got to mention the animation of these guys because the one thing scourge and the sweeps are doing that weird thing they do every so often where their heads are sticking up above their hovercraft modes when they come in for no good reason whatsoever 
Um, yes. And then when Cyclonus lands and transforms, my God, he's put on weight. <laughs> he's just hugely bloated. <laughs> and, and looks terrible. Uh, yes, so it's the arrival of Chonk Clonus, who was because he was the tall, spindly one with who turned into a really pointy jet. So having a chunky Cyclonus doesn't fit his uh, his, his standard look at all. No, so and where what... is his armada? Because in the movie he was reformatted to Cyclonus and a bunch of identical Cyclonus armada bots, and they've all disappeared. Scourge still has a whole army of sweeps, apparently. Confusingly, throughout this and many other episodes with them in, they all look exactly like him. So actually figuring out which one is Scourge is quite difficult. Yeah, I'm going to play the who cares card because they're all kind of the same, aren't they? But Scourge is normally the one who gets lines, I think. And that's the only clue you get. So yeah, so that's what the Decepticons up to. Well, meanwhile, the Autobots are celebrating their victory over Decepticons by rounding up all the other races in the galaxy and engaging in some more auto-fascism, or actually just playing some Olympic games, which seems a much nicer thing to do. Um, they have a big parade of weird aliens, including the Archidroids, who are heavily favoured in the downhill events because they're big roly-poly creatures, and that's the last we see of the Archidroids. Uh, yes. Did you... Is this what you expected the Autobots to be doing, engaging in pointless Olympic Games? No, uh, that's not quite what I expected them to be doing. The other thing I noticed about this, um, which comes up throughout this episode, it popped up briefly in the movie as well, and it continues throughout this series. Planets are very weirdly shaped now. Yes, there are very few traditional globe-shaped planets, are there? Yeah, I mean, this thing is just some kind of weird wedge of a planet. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's all very bizarre. Quintessa later on, as we saw in the movie, that's a weird, weird, weird looking thing. Um, Thrall is just even weirder. So yeah, actual round planets are pretty much non-existent at this point. So yes, as somebody with an interest in uh, astronomy, I think that spotting planets like this is, well, it's it's just highly, un- well, are they planetoids? Are they, uh, could you get these in an asteroid belt? Or is it just absolute uh, nonsense? Well, you could. Um, you could get things on weird and wonderful shapes. The problem is once that becomes a certain size and a certain mass, uh, its gravitation, its own gravity will pull it into a sphere because that's what happens with a large mass in space. So um, when you consider something like Pluto is tiny, tiny little thing the moon is relatively small and yet it will become a sphere even if it's made of solid rock because the rock isn't strong enough to withstand that amount of force from its own gravitational field so if these things did exist in the shape that we see them they would have minimal surface gravity yes okay so so but that also that, that that actually kind of solves a bit of a problem because you know in sci-fi you always have a problem where you've got this planet and it's a whole planet and there's five people living on it and they all live in one place so if they're all really small planetoids then actually that kind of makes more sense okay uh, i'm excusing <laughs> something that doesn't need to be excused bumblebee and warpath are watching these games on tv and it's very nice to see these guys again Yes, especially as Warpath didn't appear in the movie. So we weren't sure, has he been blown up? Is he dead? Who knows? Uh, But, you know, we know Bumblebee survived, so it's good to see him again. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's immediately apparent that Rodimus Prime is a bit of a useless tosspot, uh, which is a bit <laughs> of a shame. So he's Ultra Magnus is like, oh, these games are going to usher in a new age of peace and prosperity and cooperation between the planets. And Rodimus Prime's just, yeah, whatever, start the games. He's He's not on the job. No, he's not. He's not interested in making big speeches. Um, but, you know, he's basically a teenager who's been promoted. Yeah. You know, that's... He's like, you know... I can't think of a suitable analogy, so we'll cut that bit out. But, yeah, he's, he's basically yeah. a teenager who's been promoted to the top job without doing any of the rising through the ranks thing that most other people did because he just happened to get hold of the matrix of leadership at the right time. Yes, the Matrix chose him for reasons that remain. Well, he just—he was just in the right. Was he just in the right place at the right time, or do you think maybe he had a manifest destiny? I don't know. No, so, I don't care. <laughs> there's there's a big race between some transforming robots, and possibly not all of these are transformers from Cybertron. Uh, and the per the person who's taking part in these race on the transformer side is Jazz, because Blur isn't around for. Uh, he's, he's off on another mission so Jazz who survived the movie nice to see him back and the, they have to transform into a car then into a robot and climb over loads of obstacles and yeah it's just what you'd expect really kind of like uh, what was that Japanese game show where they all used to knock each other off bouncy castles into water Takeshi's Castle Takeshi's Castle yes love that show that was so much fun <laughs> so, uh, oh yeah, what's his name who did the narration from Red Dwarf Craig Charles Craig Charles, yes, yeah, and he had the, exactly the right kind of tone for it as well. The kind of, I mean, he really got into it, didn't he? He did, yeah. The kind of this is bizarre, so just roll with it, you know, just just enjoy <laughs> the chaos. Um, but yeah, jazz is in jazz is in this, but he has no lines uh, because unfortunately, uh, apparently, Scatman Crothers, who does his voice, uh, passed away before series three um, was recorded. Oh, I, di I didn't know that. That's oh, that's appallingly tragic. So Jazz will never speak again. I don't think he'll even appear again, much less speak. Oh. So, yeah. That's a real show. Because you're rooting for him through the movie because he's one of the ones you want to survive. And he does survive. And then it's, oh, no, that's, yeah. that's, that's a bit sad. But anyway, so Perceptor is, uh, has got a special mission for Blur. And sadly, Wheelie. So he's cho chosen the people from the movie with the two most irritating voices and sent them on the most important mission of their lives together, which is to deliver Autobot City's transformation cog, which is Metroplex's transformation cog, uh, to Autobot City so that Metroplex or Autobot City, it's not clear which, can transform. Yeah, first mention of Metroplex. <laughs> Yeah, I like if you don't know who Metroplex is, he's basically Autobot City, but he's also a giant, giant robot. So it's going to be very exciting to see Metroplex turn up at some point, hopefully very soon. While this happens, Jazz wins the race and they announce, but they, you know, Jazz clearly wins the race, but they announce Marcus Venkar winning, which is. They a bit do. I'm assuming that there's supposed to be a time lapse thing going on there. Jazz wins a race, and then someone else wins another one. Okay, um, that's so, my that's my head cannon on that one. <laughs> so there are lots of races, and they're all too boring and silly to be actually shown on the show. They're being watched by some mysterious aliens. Hmm. Mysterious aliens who sort of 
oval shaped with lots of tentacles hanging out the back and have five faces. And they have a pig-faced rock lizard spy who's got a pig face and rock skin and it's kind of lizard-like. And he blasts the Olympic flame, sending light beams and smoke everywhere and causing absolute chaos. What do you think of this little guy? Um, he's weird. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's that's pretty much all I can say about him. Yeah, the mystery, the mystery they try and imbue this with is kind is very hit and miss because we see these weird creatures with you know big domes and things in sort of silhouette from behind and they're kind of these look vaguely familiar but maybe maybe not don't know could be thinking back to the movie mm. and then they make it really obvious by showing a very familiar spaceship flying over the uh over the smoky games it's it's the corkscrew ship from the movie or at least another one of those corkscrew ships from the movie yeah and it drops a little pod and out come these sort of shadowy figures who are vaguely shaped like well like the robot mode of the Sharkticons, but surely it's not them. Maybe it is. I don't know. And they blast everyone, including Spike, Daniel, and who's this? It's Carly. She's back. It's Carly. I mean, well, it's a blonde woman who is hanging around with Spike and appears to be related to Daniel. So there is definite evidence there. If you had to rule a list of suspects, you'd say, mm, it's, well, it's not Elise Presser. <laughs> no. She had dark hair, but now it's Carly, uh, which is great. She doesn't do much, but it's great. The Autobots all open fire and Springer goes up to douse the torch in his helicopter mode so they can see what's happening. And suddenly he gets it and all the enemies vanish and everything disappears and the blue skies return. But Cup, Spike and Ultra Magnus have been taken away. And they are Somehow. missing. Within Somehow. a second. <laughs> it's just they're there one minute and then they're gone. It's like, that's weird. So this uh, mission that they were on may be to have been deliberately and carefully set up to kidnap three characters, Cup, Spike and Ultra Magnus. Why those three? We'll probably never know. We will probably never know. And Rodimus um, doesn't display great leadership skills at this point because he declares this planet is quarantined no one leaves or comes in until we find cup ultra magnus and spike there was very clearly a spaceship involved in this kidnapping mate somebody i think has already left <laughs> i don't think you're going to find cup ultra magnus and spike on the planet and yes. in any case another spaceship just bursts out of the ground and flies off and springer and rc go ah screw it we're following them it's not a great start for Rodimus being the leader. And even Rodimus admits it. He stands in the wreckage on his own saying, why did I have to be the chosen one? Like a great big teenage doofus compared to you were a lot. cocky little teenage. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I like, I like Hot Rod. I liked Hot Rod. He should have had more time as Hot Rod. Hmm. But anyway. Meanwhile, a blur thinks that the mission that he and Wheelie have been sent on is stupid. And as they go, they fly past Unicron's head, uh, which obviously their route is taken from this planet, past Cybertron, which is very near Earth, past Unicron's head. And in Unicron's head... Well, Blur, Wheelie and Perceptor are on Cybertron, I think. It's a terrible, terrible animation of Cybertron. But I think oh. that's where they are. Okay. Because they, yes. they weren't at the location. Um <sighs> So, yeah, they go past Unicron's head, which is too small. 
Oh no, it's too. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yes, because Cyclonus is standing on one of Unicron's eyes, and at this point, Unicron's eyes, which are at least broken still, as they were in the movie, so um, that's that's good. They remembered that bit at least. Um, but Unicron's eye is just a bit taller than Cyclonus. That hole is big enough for him to hop through. Now, given that that hole was caused by a whole Quintesson spaceship smashing through it. Ah, yes, it is. It is far, far, far too small. It is. So Unicron is beset with the same scaling issues as the rest of the Transformers, which is not unusual, I think, no. in this day and age. Uh, so they, they go on board and there's lots of creepy wind noises and oh, maybe Unicron's still alive. But they say, oh, oh no, it must be the, it must be the wind. And then someone there points out no quite correctly. There is no space. Oh, I thought you were going to start talking about solar wind, Jason. Well, there's solar wind, but that's not... Um, that's too tenuous to make any noise as it blows through anything. So <laughs> Good. Yes. Excellent. So they access Unicron's memory bank and start watching Transformers the movie. And they find out what happened to Galvatron. And what happened to Galvatron is that Rodimus chucked him out of a window. So that was very useful. Yeah, and Cyclonus somehow from all this can deduce where Galvatron ended up. Galvatron yes. ended up on the planet Thrull, orbiting the star Hydran. Galvatron was thrown into space. Okay with no propulsion other than the momentum that he had when he was hurled out of Unicron. And yet he has crossed unaided interstellar distances. Now, I know we've said this before, but I'm going to remind everybody, light travels so fast that it can go round the Earth seven times in a second, and yet the nearest star to Earth's solar system, not the nearest star to Earth, because that's obviously the sun, uh, is four and a bit light years away, which means it takes light four years to get here. Galvatron isn't going anywhere near light speed, and yet he's crossed interstellar distances somehow in very short space of time. Yeah, I, I, logically, he should be in space somewhere near Cybertron, or possibly orbiting Cybertron himself. Could he? Be, could that be happening? Almost certainly, that's where he'd be. I find it hard to believe that Rodimus could have thrown him with escape velocity. From <laughs> okay uh but also he had the power of the matrix and unicron exploded so uh no that still doesn't cover it but basically galvatron uh we see galvatron's hand sticking out of this orange lava pool on a strange alien planet yeah which is a very weird one again and also it appears that scourge has the ability to see interplanetary and interstellar distances again i remind you light <laughs> Yes, we covered this very recently, didn't we? Yes. Uh, well, I'm, I'm pleased to see that it's still true. But we are now about five or ten minutes into a Transformers episode, so it's time to introduce a new character. And we cut to Earth uh, for a completely unrelated little skit where uh, Blaster is on a ship with a character called Outback. And I rather like Outback. He's a little Australian mini-bot, and he's brown, and he turns into a little jeep. And he's got a proper Australian accent, and he he's got a little tracking device. Do you uh, did you have an Outback? I didn't have an Outback. No, Outback was a retool of Brawn. Um, so you know, vehicle mode pretty much the same, but different colour and a different face. Um, but yeah, I found his accent a little bit weird, to be honest. Um, and you know, it's good to see Blaster again. We all like Blaster, and yeah, new character. 
And we also get introduced to another new character. And yeah, this is the this is the point where one of the Transformers voice actors uh, noped out of the entire series. Having given us good service through two seasons and a movie, Casey Kasem went, no, I'm not doing that. Mainly because of uh, <laughs> General as it Abdul Fagadi, not at all mm. an anagram of Gaddafi, <laughs> leader of the uh, Democratic Republic of Carbomia. No, no, I like. Okay, so most of the time when we have these cliches or stereotypes on a cartoon or a TV show, that's it's it's not great, but at the same time, it's rarely meant in a disparaging way. It's just that that's how they perceive those people. It's just a bit, it's just not very good, in my opinion. It, they should do better. It's not really, you know, it's not excusable, but they should do better. But at the same time, I don't think it's generally maliciously meant. This is clearly maliciously meant, and and it's literally it's one one or two little bits. It's one scene that doesn't need to be there, and ah, I don't know. It's it's maddening, isn't it? It is. It's uh, it's a it's a it's a dig at the uh, Libyan terrorists that were the the big deal at the time, and obviously car bombs were <laughs> a big issue, um, and yeah, it's. Uh, and it's not, it wasn't in this episode, but there is another. We go to Carbomia a couple of times in series three. And in one of them, there's a plaque outside the city that announces the population as so-and-so people and a hundred thousand camels, because obviously that's relevant information for a, an Eastern European nation or whatever. So, or an, or an African nation or something like that. So yeah, it's, uh, th this is bad. There is no excusing this. This isn't this isn't just a lazy cultural stereotype. This is actually really quite offensively bad. Um, yeah, it's it's not what you want. I, I I don't think there's anything. I mean, I'm sure there are things that are bad as bad or worse in other cartoons that I've seen, but I can't think of any. This is this is the pits. I can't think. I, I can you know there are many examples of you know cliched portrayals of other nations. That's that's a thing. Um, and in some cases, you can argue that that's a shorthand because then we know where we are, like, you know, the French people with onions around their necks and the, and the berets, you know, and things like that. And, you know, and that sort yeah. of thing. But this one, it doesn't need to be there. And calling the thing Carbomia was just... No, there's that's that's just a step too far, really. Okay. Anyway, we've talked about that as much as it deserves. It's probably more than it deserves, so let's not mention it again. Yeah, the, because the other thing about this scene is that they're searching for Decepticons and they go, I wonder where they are. And we see a bunch of jets, two of which have whacking great Decepticon logos on their noses. And yet... <laughs> 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 well uh for those of you who can recognize their blue jet with brown wings and their white jet with black wings you'd be quick to point out that it is it is dirge and ramjet yeah who ironically so then declare that they're going to thrust out of there <laughs> <laughs> yeah well thrusters had his time in the sun and his time on the front of optimus prime's grill plate well quite 
Outback throws a smoke bomb at them and the jets crash, which is very impressive from Outback. And then Blaster gives them a brief, interrog- brief interrogation and finds the location of Char, which is where the Decepticons all are, and they report back to Rodimus. So that was the point of that scene. Meanwhile, on the Olympic planet, I think, no, wait, on Cybertron. Start that again. Meanwhile, on Cybertron, Perceptor is examining the body of one of the attackers, but he can't work out who the bits of Sharkticon could possibly be. He just, it's a total mystery. I mean, these are clearly Sharkticon bits down there. I just, uh, anyway. Rodimus I can understand Perceptor not recognizing it because he wasn't there when the Sharkticons, but Rodimus was up close and personal with a number of Sharkticons. You'd think he would notice. Yeah, but Rodimus has a vendetta against the Decepticons for some reason. I mean, actually, I can't blame him because there's been millions of years of war. And he decides that he's going to be Char to be sure it's not them. And Perceptor says, well, you can't take me because reasons, but you can take Grimlock. Well, Perceptor does volunteer. And Rodimus <laughs> says, remember what happened to the last couple of guys who tried to look out for me? Oh, yes. OK, fine. Take Grimlock instead. And Grimlock is delighted. Yeah, this is the this is the new Grimlock. He is playful. He's fun. He's a big uh, goofball, and uh, but he's not as interesting as he used to be. I don't think. No, I agree. He's um, he's fun for sure, but he doesn't have the edge that he had when he was you know on Earth with the Autobots in the Ark and constantly getting annoyed that they just called the Dinobots in when they needed a bit of muscle and and uh, and all that. Now he's a big softy, really. Yeah, yeah, he's just a cutie little Grimlock. Well, I think Wheelie, we've got Wheelie to blame for that, who took his edges off. Yeah, I wish Grimlock had just stomped on Wheelie, really. <laughs> yes, well, wishes uh, can't always be granted. Uh, RC and Springer are in space, and they're chasing the runaway ship which is what everyone should be doing, really, which is piloted by the pig-faced rock weirdo from earlier. And they fly past a spiky planetoid thing, another one of these planet things that's not really a thing. And a big claw comes out and starts crushing their ship. RC blasts a hole in the ship so they can escape, and they land on this strange asteroid with a hollow surface. I I want to throw in something. I don't think it was intentional. I think this was more by luck than judgment, but I will give them the jumping out of the spaceship and landing softly on the asteroid because they do call it an asteroid and the surface gravity on an asteroid is quite low. So in theory, yes, you could jump out of your spaceship and land happily on the surface of an asteroid. Uh, Yes, but I think after that, they find a hole in the asteroid and fall through it, don't they? I think they blast a hole in the asteroid because they hear something from underneath. And they realise that it's hollow and they jump into what appears to be a control room of some description. Ah, yes. And they find the pig rock lizard man who surrenders to their superior firepower. Uh, They chase him away. They don't really interrogate him as much as they should. And Springer finds the controls and realises he can fly this spiky planetoid around. And RC RC christens it the Rockeroid. Yeah, not much else to say about that, really, is there? <laughs> I mean, this, no. the, the, the creature does kind of give a little bit of a hint that something weird is going on, because when they say, what did the the Decepticons paying you good money? And he's like, the who? Oh, yes, the Decepticons. I was like, hmm, maybe 
it's not the Decepticon. <laughs> I mean, we already know it's not the Decepticons because we've seen the state they're in, but... Yeah, yeah, it's 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 not very subtle, this mystery, although the Autobots should be onto it a lot quicker. So the pig lizard uh, rock man phones his masters, who, I, again, we see a little bit more of, and it's a little bit more obvious who they are, and he asks for his reward. And they say his reward is, we'll let you live, which is the kind of thing that evil people say when they're giving a reward. Oh, and yeah. the, the rock lizard man says, you can't do this to me. You know who I am. Um, actually, we've got no idea who you are. We don't know where you've come from. We don't know what race you are. We don't, like, who is this guy? <laughs> it's a mystery, isn't it? Yeah, mystery upon much. mystery in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll never find out the answers. So we see that these guys, I'm just going to call them the Quintessons, they have Spike, Cup, and Ultra Magnus as prisoners. Back on the planet of Char, the Combaticons and the Stunticons are arguing. And they're saying, ah, oh, I should have been in the movie. No, I should have been in the movie. And that kind of thing. None of them were in the movie. Uh, but they do need a strong leader, which is what they're really lacking. And uh, Motormaster says that the Autobots used to have a great leader, which is interesting coming from Motormaster. It is. I kind of like it. I like this sequence, actually, because although we've said the animation on this episode is absolutely diabolical, um, it does have moments of greatness, and I particularly like the beaten up Decepticons in this sequence. They've all got a bit of scuffing, a bit of damage. Onslaught has got one of his launchers on his backpack is bent out of shape. He also seems to have acquired a different voice somehow for some reason. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, I, I quite like the animation in this, and it's interesting to hear Motormaster, as you say, praising Optimus Prime as a great leader. Um, and I think that's kind of, that's a trope, isn't it? You know, the bad guys respect the leadership of the good guys, even though they disagree with them. It's like, he's a good leader. He's a good leader. We, we like him, even though we want to beat the crap out of him and kill him. Yeah, yeah. Well, Optimus Prime basically held them all at bay for millions of years, pretty much on his own with minimal help from the other Autobots and a lot of luck. But anyway, so yes. So Cyclonus comes back to Char with the news that Galvatron is still alive. I yes. don't know... And this goes down about as well as you think it would, given that Galvatron did very little to lead the Decepticons previously. Indeed. <laughs> I see you're getting some affection there. I'm, I'm getting some affection. Yes, Nala, you've picked a wrong moment to come in. Look, busy. See? Yeah, Galvatron wasn't much of a leader of the Decepticons. And the only Decepticons we actually saw him leading in the whole of the movie were Cyclonus and the Sweeps. Because they were the only ones who were always with him. Everyone else just stayed on Cybertron and then got eaten by Unicron. So, <laughs> yeah, but this is actually quite this is quite a good bit of characterization because he's and I actually I really like the desperation of the Decepticons. As you say he demands their energon so that they can go and rescue Galvatron. So he wants a little bit of energon from everyone. Oh yes, and he's really laying it on thick, isn't he? Give <laughs> my friends, give till it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be great on the blood drive, wouldn't he? <laughs> wouldn't he just? But yeah, Astro Train donates a few little Energon cubes and Motormaster pulls one out and collapses. Yeah, so they're, they're really giving it up and they're, they're, uh, they're kind of giving away their last bits to get Galvatron back to life. And they, they have a bit of an argument. I think it's at this point where it's two of the Stunticons are talking about how doomed they are as well. Yes, I can't remember which one. I know one of them's Wild Rider. 
and yeah. oh, uh, dead end probably dead end yeah it's like if we give up the energy on we're doomed and if we don't we're doomed anyway face it we're doomed <laughs> <laughs> yeah shades of dad's army from the decepticons which is definitely <laughs> a bad sign but there's a couple of people who are watching this with great delight and it's Rodimus and Grimlock who have climbed onto the top of this massive, really tall pillar overlooking this rock pillar overlooking them. And Rodimus says he feels sorry for them. But Grimlock isn't sorry. Grimlock's going to laugh. And this laugh is a bit... I, I'm going to drop a sound and drop of it because it's an incredible laugh. It is so weird. It's such a weird noise. It doesn't sound like the kind of laugh Grimlock should have. But anyway, Rodimus realises the Tepsicons can't have been responsible for the attacks because of the state they're in. And Grimlock asks, who is? Who is? Who is? Like that. I'm which sure is... he was going to say, who is, damn it, before Rodimus <laughs> grabs his nose and shuts him up. Yeah, but it's too late. Their cover is blown. He's knocked a bunch of rocks off and the Decepticons spot them. And they fall down the, tumble down the side of the pillar and the Decepticons advance on them, blasting them into oblivion to be continued. Dun, dun, dun. Shocking, <laughs> shocking ending. So yeah, so that was an interesting return to the world of Transformers after a long break. It was a weird return to the world of Transformers. We've gone, as you know, the movie has t- taken us off Earth and we haven't gone really back there apart from that hideous scene in the uh, in the airport where they unearth two Decepticons just to interrogate them. Um, so yeah, we're, we're on to weird alien planets and strange spaceships and aliens and all sorts of weird and wonderful things going on. And uh, yeah, it's a slightly bizarre return for the Transformers, but it does follow nicely from the events of the movie. Yeah. Uh, there's, I, I like the attempt to tell a larger story with lots of strands going on. I think that's brave. Yes. I like the desperate Decepticons, but I think that the Autobots doing the Olympic Games were just so, uh, what, why do we, like, you kind of just lose sympathy for them. And I also don't like that Rodimus Prime, who is a new, exciting character, is conflicted and rubbish and basically spends all of his time saying, I wish Optimus Prime was here. He's so much better. I I kind of like that. Um, okay. I think it's a more, I think it's a more realistic outcome from the events of the movie because, you know, I said it was sarcastically earlier, but effectively Rodimus Prime is a teenager who was promoted immediately from lower ranks to the top because the matrix chose him for some reason uh he hasn't got the experience i mean at one point ultra magnus says do you think rodimus is a little bit you know short of a few circuits or something and cup says no i was like that till i got blown apart a few times you know and he, he doesn't have the experience and at this point everyone accepts him as the leader because the matrix says so rather than because he's actually demonstrated any leadership capabilities <laughs> Yes, and it's it's easy. Oh, it might be harder to be a leader during peacetime because you've got to organise people to do, like, what? I don't know, organise universal peace? At least with a war, you've got a clear goal. I don't mm. know. I, don't know. I, I wouldn't like yeah. to be a leader in any circumstance like that. I wouldn't so, like to be a leader of a four million year old war, so <laughs> certainly not. Um, but no. yeah, the desperate Decepticons are good. Yeah. 
And yeah, the multiple strands definitely are intriguing. There's there's enough incident in this to make you want to see what happens in part two. Um, Well, at least if Metroplex shows up, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I want to see Metroplex, definitely. (laughs) So who is your man of the match for The Five Faces of Darkness, part one, Jason? That's pretty difficult to determine because it is part one of, well, five, as we will find out. Um, So it's hard to define anyone as a man of the match in an episode that basically is just setting up what comes up next rather than actually showing any kind of conclusion. I would say probably the best contender for man of the match would be Cyclonus for being the guy who sees what's going on with the Decepticons and says, right, we need to sort these guys out and I'm going to go and find Galvatron and I'm going to talk these guys into letting me get some of their energy on so that I can actually do it and fix the problems because we're screwed if we carry on like this. So, yeah, I think he's probably the best contender for Man of the Match. Yeah, he's taking positive action in dire circumstances, which is what you need to do. Everyone else has just given up. Yeah, he's got a plan. Indeed. So my man of the match would be Outback because, firstly, because I like him. Secondly, (laughs) because he's got a funny accent. And thirdly, because he takes out Thrust and Ramjet, which is, they're toughies. They have traditionally been. Oh. (laughs) You were so close. (laughs) (laughs) Does it matter anymore? Does it matter? I can tell Cyclonus from Scourge. So, you know, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. Oh, no. Never mind. So, yeah, so, and he takes out two Decepticon cone heads of some description. He does very <laughs> well. So, that, that's that for that. So, that's part one of Five Faces of Darkness, but I'm very excited to see what happens next. So, shall we go straight on to part two? I think we should go to part two. So we are back with part two of Five Faces of Darkness, and we have a, a little bit of a recap, courtesy of Victor Caroli, who explains that stuff's going on. Yep. I mean, we don't need to That's recap it. it for you guys, because you've just heard us talking about part one. So I think your attention span is probably long enough. We're okay. <laughs> he asked the question, are the kidnap are the kidnappers Decepticons or another race of evil beings? To which the answer is, we know. We know. We know. And apparently the people writing and making the episode figured out that we probably know anyway, because they immediately drop all pretense at mystery and subtlety. And we get an establishing shot of Quintessa and the Quintessons are just there doing their whole judgy throwing people in a pit full of Sharpticons thing again when we actually get to to that part. (laughs) So they're just given up with the whole mystery and the subtle and the shadows and everything else. Just like, oh, here they are. Well, I, I, it's a big slap in the face to anyone who failed to guess in part one who the enemies could possibly be. <laughs> anyway, so we cut back to the planet of Char where Grimlock and Rodimus are in trouble. And Grimlock says, I'm not afraid of Decepticons. Uh, but Rodimus and Grimlock are vastly outnumbered. Grimlock likes a big fight. And the Decepticons are running towards them and they're shooting. But their weapons are ineffective, even more so than usual. Yeah, and Rodimus, I mean, Grimlock's like, I'm not hurt. And Rodimus says, neither am I. And you've got to wonder why. Well, no, you know why, because you were watching them talking about their lack of energy earlier. So that's why, isn't it? (laughs) And sure enough, the Decepticons' guns all stop working. 
Yeah, but Cyclonus again taking positive action demands demands an attack. So they all go off to literally just stomp Rodimus and Grimlock on mass. So this is kind of horrific. All these out of energy, desperate Decepticons rushing up to Grimlock and Rodimus and just thumping them to pieces. Yeah, I have issues with this sequence. Rodimus, okay, being beaten up by a gang of Decepticons. Yeah, okay, fine. Grimlock. What happened to his fire breath? Why are their weapons ineffective? These are very good questions. Grimlock should actually have torn apart half the Decepticon army at this point. He should, absolutely. He spends this whole episode in dinosaur mode, which we have established makes him one of the most powerful Transformers, you know, other than the huge city bot combiner things. Um, and yet he's beaten up by a bunch of underpowered Decepticons. Um, and Rodimus is... You know, he shouts that they're going to stomp them on mass and he calls them all cowards. Like, I'm sorry, running a fully armed opponent when you've got no energy and a non-functional weapon doesn't make you a coward. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's it's just a shame the way this was animated and the way it played out because this could have been a brilliant last stand kind of sequence. And yeah, it just doesn't work, does it? But a comet appears above their head, which is always a sign of ill omen. And the comet appears... And all the Decepticons run away because they don't want to get squashed by the comet. But the comet comes to a stop just above their heads. What? Yeah, because it's actually the Rockeroid. <laughs> it's RC and Springer. They come to save the day. And the, the claws that previously cr- crushed their ship come out and they rescue Rodimus and Grimlock. But Rodimus is badly injured and appears to be asleep. Yes, and Grimlock demands he wakes up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm coming to terms with this new Grimlock. I think he's he's mainly there for comic relief and fun, isn't he? That that's exactly what he is now. Yes. Yeah. So Cyclonus rounds up all the Energon, and he decides it's time to go off and find Galvatron. Yep, taking positive action once again. He does. He also identifies the owner of that ship for us when he mentions that it looks like a ship run by the Skuxoids but they can't be working for the Autobots. So that rock lizard alien thing is a skuxoid, apparently. A skuxoid. Remember that. It'll come in future. It'll come in help later on when you do a really difficult Transformers pub quiz at some point in your life. Yes, that's skuxoid with two X's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a bonus point in that. <laughs> on the planet Quintessa, Cup is back in the Quintesson trial room. This is where we find out the Quintessons are behind. Is the Quintessons, guys? Okay. They are interrogating him about the Cybertronian defences, and they seem to be reading his mind at this point, don't they? They do, yeah, as Spike notices, because they ask questions. He gives ridiculous answers, and one of the Quintessons says, oh, no, the answer he suppresses is actually Cybertron is very well defended. We won't be able to do a full-scale assault etc etc but he's very concerned about the security of earth apparently Uh oh yes the security of earth is a big concern which is which is a bit of a weak point and could mean that in future episodes we see a nice assault on the planet earth which could lead to the arrival of metroplex the could there's an interesting bit in this scene as well the quintessons notice spike's comments and his fear of um his fear of death And they also mentioned in episode one about what makes humans live and what makes them perish. They're being a bit more open about talking about death in series three than they ever were in series one and two. 
Oh, interesting. Well, I suppose they have just killed a lot of Transformers off in the movie. So, yeah, it's that's a slightly different and I, I, well, slightly more grown up angle, isn't it? It is, yeah. Because, um, yeah, I don't think that death and people dying was ever mentioned in the first couple of series, um, despite all the chaos and destruction that was being wrought. No one ever talked about dying. Oh, remind me in the movie, who leads the way? Who dies first? Who dies first? Uh, Prowl. Prowl. Yeah. Prowl, Brawn, ahead of the game. Well, I mean, Braun Braun gets shot in the shoulder and collapses and doesn't appear again. But Prowl yeah. is the one you get the close-up of his eyes going out and smoke pouring out of his mouth before he collapses. Yeah. Prowl, who contributed so little to series one and two of Transformers, does contribute bringing the concept of dying horribly on screen to the entire show <laughs> but never mind uh, that, that that's prowl's problem so the rocker ride with rc springer grimlock and rodimus prime arrives at another jagged metal planet that doesn't make any sense and rodimus is still unconscious he hasn't woken up yet from his uh, his struggles and everybody's very sad about him dying i like people have been to the shops and they've only just bought rodimus prime how can he be dying? Are they going to kill him <laughs> off this early? Yeah, I mean, RC is monitoring him. His life force apparently is is fading. Uh, he says his time in the light is short. And she says that's what Optimus Prime said when he was dying. He must have said that off screen because that was not said in the movie at any point. <laughs> yeah, RC says, uh, I, well, there's a nice bit of to and fro with RC and Springer where Springer's asking questions to RC. Like, I'm not a doctor. And Springer says, he's looking bad. Will he make it? And Arcee says, I'm not a psychic either. So there's definitely something going on between these two. And Rodimus lies down and he dies. And Grimlock bursts into tears in his dinosaur mode, which is really, really odd to see. And Grimlock gives a big no as Arcee announces that his life force has slipped away. Nothing. No life force at all. No! It's true, Grimlock. He's gone. Yeah, Grimlock has gone from being the big, mean dinosaur dude to being quite cute, actually. But uh, yeah, Rodimus Prime's life force has gone. Um, but Grimlock is not having this. No, There's no. no he I... must still be alive because no matrix of leadership. Yes. I, I don't know about them pulling this stunt on us again. I don't think, I, 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 after Optimus Prime dying and the stress that caused, it feels a little bit like they're trying to do it again as a fake out. And I think that's quite cheap. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was necessary. There's all sorts of things they could have done that just said, you know, his, his life force is very weak or, you know, he's... He's alive, but where is his personality or something along those lines? Because it turns out that his life force is apparently inside the Matrix. Yes, he is actually having a powerful psychedelic vision, which is he not is. unlike the opening uh, title sequence to The Mysterious Cities of Gold. <laughs> it certainly of... has similarities to that kind <laughs> of thing, yeah. Um, and also they pulled out their BBC sound effects LP again. Um, yeah, there is definitely a burst of the uh, the Sontaran collecting machine from the Sontaran experiment in there, which is one of the more unusual ones. I don't think we've had that one much before. No, I think it's only turned up once before now. But yeah, there it is. Very definitely. 
Very definitely, yeah. So he sees lots of numbers. He sees his own face as a quintesson. He sees Quintessa exploding. He sees lots of powerful-looking Transformers exploding and Optimus Prime's face briefly. Uh, and then he wakes up. Good dream. Yeah, and immediately mentions the Quintessons. Yeah, the Matrix has basically told him what he should have worked out quite some time ago, that the Quintessons are behind it all. So well done, the Matrix. Yeah, absolutely. So he decides that they're going to go to Quintessa because he talks about, he reminds, weirdly, he reminds Grimlock of the time they were shot down over Quintessa and uh, tried and sentenced to death. And Grimlock rescued us. And RC says, you've got to be kidding. What do you mean you've got to be kidding? Grimlock, the big, powerful dinosaur dude. Yeah, yeah, he could rescue people. That's what he was for. That's what, that's what he was always used for, was coming in at the end and fixing things. So, yeah. Why does she find it so hard to believe that Grimlock rescued Hot Rod? Yeah, Grimlock, who once complained that Optimus Prime only called him when the Autobots needed their backsides pulling out of the fire. Grimlock, yeah. the hero, the champion, particularly when he's got the other Dinobots with him. Yeah. Yeah, so they uh, go off to Quintessa, although Springer's protesting that Rodimus needs to go back to Cybertron to recover. I don't know, Springer, just sort yourself out. <laughs> Ultra Magnus, Cup and Spike are being led to a trial on the planet Quintessa, and Spike drops some very heavy hints that they should try to fight their way out. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one where he tries to drop something about a game between the bears and whatever the other guys were. And, you know, remember that game? And Ultra Magnus is just not on the ball. <laughs> nope. No idea. Cup gets it, though. Yeah. And conveniently, all the other guards that were escorting them in the long shot that we saw have disappeared. So he only has to deal with one. And then Spike grabs the trailing tentacles of the Quintesson. Apparently that's enough to actually really trouble the Quintesson and slow him down rather than him just flicking them off. So these tentacles are obviously very sensitive. I presume they must be, um, but it does kind of look like Spike is carrying a giant balloon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> giant metal floating balloon. So yeah, so rather than trying to leg it off and fi uh, find a spaceship, they go straight into the trial room with this Quintesson, they've got hostage. And they say, you know, let us free or tell us what's going on or we'll turn this guy into bluey juice, whichever bluey juice is. Yeah. Well, the Quintesson's not having that because they sentenced Judge Deliberata to death. <laughs> Which I, I really like that as a twist, that they just don't care about their own kind and they're just going to kill him. They don't care about hostages. And he doesn't uh, care either. He praises the decision and says, yep, OK, go for it. <laughs> yeah. But it does come up with the it does come out with the interesting thing that apparently his name is Deliberata. So they're obviously named in ways that are relevant because he's a Quintesson judge of some description. But that does make you wonder what the others are called. <laughs> Yes, there's, based there's on a the... limited number of names that will sound suitable for that. So. Uh, I, I judge Solicitorus, <laughs> sort of Latinate versions of judge nay, judge things to do with judging. Uh, yeah, but I can't think of any more for now. Yeah, because there's no time to think of any more. They get dropped in the shark's con tank again. And I, I, but this time it's different because they get dropped in. The Sharkscons don't attack right away, but a big panel opens up so the Quintessons can have a little bit of a watch as they get eaten. Pay us no mind. We just like to watch. 
<laughs> bizarrely two things that are bizarre about this sequence is one is that the sharkticons don't attack they just sit there and look at them for ages the other is why doesn't cup say yeah last time we were in this situation we did this why don't we do it again because we've been here before you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> we know what to do we've, we've had practice we've got form yeah. um i think they would have to uh, spike would basically have to get into cup's cab for sure. Otherwise, it, you just get turned into mincemeat. But well, yes. they do have a method for getting <clears> out of this. <throat> Meanwhile, on the planet Thrall, because we need to go to a new location now, Cyclonus is on a mission and he orders Scourge to remove Galvatron from the ooze. And as Scourge does, go, goes and does so, this is horrible ooze and plasma baths. As Scourge goes to do it, he says, better you than I, because he obviously doesn't want to get covered in slime. I think it's partly he doesn't want to get covered in slime, more because he remembers that Galvatron is utterly cuckoo bananas. <laughs> Even he more is so dangerously now. unstable. And yeah, I would not want to be the person standing next to Galvatron to say, hello, we've come to rescue you. And oh, oh, crap, you're beating me up. Well, that's exactly what happens to Cyclonus. He says, who disturbs my... Galvatron says, who disturbs my plasma bath? And he punches Cyclo poor Cyclonus into the ooze and he gets slimed. And then and then he's all like, did I ask you for deliverance? Did I? Did I? Did I ask you for deliverance? Nah, did I? And he does a lot of laughing. And he is clearly... I mean, like, he was a bit mad in the movie. He was mad, but very dangerous in the comic strip. And now he is just a complete Fruit Loop. Yeah, it's it's really quite freaky. <laughs> <laughs> and it only gets worse from here on in. So on Quintessa, Spike asks what crime they committed. And the Quintessons tell them they have committed theft. Okay. What crime did the Autobots commit? Theft. You're confusing us with Decepticons. Do you not occupy Cybertron? Ooh. Now that's getting interesting. There's something going on here. But before they can interrogate their judges anymore, the Rockeroid arrives. Uh, but the Quintessons have apparently predicted their arrival to the very second. Uh, and they say, but they've got a nice line that says, uh, let us hope that Rodimus Prime's foolhardiness is not in fact courage. So yeah, so that's kind of uh, cool. Yeah, they've identified that he carries the Matrix of Leadership and they want to destroy it as well. Apparently it was not just Unicron who has a grudge against this little thing. Yeah, they've got a theory that if they destroy the Matrix, the entire Autobot army would plunge into despair and chaos. Given that for ages they didn't really know what the Matrix was or didn't mention it for pretty much two years solid, I don't know if that would happen straight away. Unless it's the source of all Optimus Prime's power. I don't really know. Anyway, the Sharkticons all run away from the Rockeroid landing and they destroy it with a medium-sized static gun emplacement. Yeah. I think Megatron would approve of that I think as a he tactic. Would. I think he <laughs> uh, would, yes. Although I'm not sure he'd be so pleased about a medium-sized static gun emplacement actually destroying anything. He normally likes to just stand at the top and blast them a bit and blow up a few rocks. But actually, <laughs> it is rocks. It's not rocks, it's a spaceship. <laughs> it's a spaceship. So it blows up the spaceship, yes. So that's bad news for anyone on board because they're all clearly dead. 
Absolutely. Up- totally. 100%. Meanwhile, the Sharkticons are still not eating Spike, Cup and, Hop- and Ultra Magnus. Yes, they're just sort of sitting there, uh, not eating them. Uh, they're waiting for the command, obviously. They're, they're waiting for the right moment. On Thrall, Galvatron says that these plasma bars have made him more powerful than ever, which is hard to believe. Cyclonus comes out of the ooze and says they are ready to form his elite guards and go off and conquer the galaxy. But Galvatron just laughs at him and shoots everyone. He just like, at this point, just blasts everyone into the ooze. Everyone gets a nice plasma bath. Except for one guy. Yeah, Scourge himself um, basically prostrates himself, (laughs) metaphorically speaking. He stands in front of Galvatron and goes, oh, I've learned your lesson. I know you're the leader. And oh, yes, absolutely. And it's all good. uh, Galvatron is is suitably placated by this um, and says that Cyclonus should watch him because he might take his place as the sort of guy who's in charge of a bunch of other Decepticons. Yeah, so so I don't think there was really a pecking order in the movie, but it's definitely Cyclonus, Scourge, Sweeps with Galvatron at the top now, isn't it? It is, absolutely, yes. But as they, they all fly off from the planet Thrall and Galvatron flies off. But as he leaves, he turns into cannon mode and he turns around and he destroys the planet and all the plasma baths with it taking them into oblivion because he's such a powerful badass. Yeah. I mean, this is more power than Megatron ever demonstrated. So yeah, you do get the impression that Galvatron is actually a force to be reckoned with. So this could be very, very bad. Yeah. It's very exciting though. I have to say also exciting is the shootout that's going on in the shocks contact. Uh, the, there are actually now shooting at the shots cons and trying to defend themselves. Hooray, finally. (laughs) (laughs) The Sharkscons have made their move after such a long time. Uh, But there was a trick when the Rockeroid blew up because it was the old empty Rockeroid trick. RC, Grimlock and Rodimus Prime arrive on Springer in helicopter mode, who's flying down with these other three Autobots hanging off him. Yes, fortunately, he evidently has an enormously long helicopter rotor shaft because none of them are getting their heads chopped off. (laughs) <laughs> he can carry his own weight plus Grimlock, Rodimus, and RC. And RC is, for some bizarre reason, adopting some kind of pin-up pose. We get a close-up of her with her legs up and her hand on her hip and with a gun held up in one hand. And it's like, that's, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, well, okay, maybe she's just being cool or maybe the animators fancy drawing her that way. I think that's probably more likely. Yes. Grimlock falls off Springer and he smashes the Quintessons empty throne because the Quintessons have just flown away in the air because they didn't want to get squashed by Grimlock. Well, here we are into into comic Grimlock territory again, aren't we? Because Grimlock leaps down with the intention of squishing the Quintessons. They fly past him and he watches them go and then basically has a, oh, crap moment as he smashes into the thrones. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I say quite enjoying this. Spike, Ultra Magnus, Cup, and Judge Deliberata are all rescued by Springer, so he's got even more weight on him now. Because I'm sure Ultra Magnus is a bit of a heavy as well. Judge Deliberata can probably carry his own weight because he's a floaty sphere thing. Yeah, uh, he looks more like a balloon than ever when Ultra Magnus is dragging him out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Springer, Springer is. I would, I would venture that Springer has some other means of 
levitation beyond having a helicopter rotor blade because there is no way in hell he's generating enough downward draft with that helicopter blade to lift himself and all those autobots <laughs> yeah it's uh there's obviously some anti-gravity thing going on here on top of his uh his, his helicopter blade but also yeah no so i'm thinking now if there was a there there are transformers theme parks because i've been to the there's one at universal studios in uh los angeles at the very least and wouldn't it be amazing if you could get a quintesson balloon? I would just love to have that. You know, lots of kids <laughs> walking around with these quintesson balloons uh, all over the place. That would be really cool. But the quintessons, are, I've got a plan. They've got an evil plan. And they are going to destroy the Matrix in any way possible. They are. But before they can execute that plan... A backup arrives for the Autobots because they don't have a ship, uh, but another one appears, and it's a yeah. weird aeroplane type thing. Oh, for for weird reads really cool looking. I think it's a really cool looking spaceship. It's yeah, it, yeah it's, it's, it's a big red. It's like an Earth aeroplane, but it's a spaceship basically. Yeah, and there is some speculation that it's supposed to be broadside because it kind of resembles his aeroplane mode but it has the aerial bots flying it yeah and they yeah we said before we always get confused with the combiners well apparently so do the animators uh -oh. um, because uh silverbolt orders slingshot to go and get the autobots off quintessa and then we see silverbolt landing and getting the autobots off quintessa <laughs> Will somebody will somebody get the Autobots off Quintessa? I don't care who. Uh, yes, but yes. So that's a bit of a mess up. But also, it does give us the wonderful graphic of uh, everybody climbing on board Silverbolt, who's a great big Concorde-style jet, and they all climb aboard him. And you can just imagine there's a little stewardess inside welcoming them on board and settling them down and giving them trays and watching a movie as they escape. Well, yeah, and here's another scale issue. If Silverbolt is supposed to be Concorde, there's no way in hell he's big enough to take any Autobots on him because Concorde is not a big plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, sh they should all be riding on his back like Shockwave dude with Starscream in the Revenge of Bruticus, <laughs> which, which would have been actually so much better to see, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, it would, absolutely. All of them lined up along his back as they, as they fly <laughs> off. Let's go! Apart so from Spike, who has to go inside because otherwise he's going to be in space and that's not naturally viable for a human being so <laughs> yeah he, he doesn't have a spacesuit or all that that really cool transforming oh what's it encounter suit the exosuit the, the exosuit that's the he one. hasn't he hasn't got that with him no the quintessons escape on their corkscrew spaceship and the autobots escape on their spaceship but the quintessons put their plan into the action and they just blow up quintessa just like that and yeah. the planet explodes and the autobots haven't probably haven't escaped yet I know. Well, it's terrible. Of, it's terrible. And 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 that's it. <laughs> that's the end of the episode. To be continued. <laughs> Absolutely shocking, isn't it? Wow. I, I I yeah, no, that's that's quite a cool ending with it. And for a race of people to blow up their own planet in an attempt to destroy the matrix is that's quite a boss move, I think. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so as the second part, I think I like better than the first part. I think things are developing more interestingly in part two. I think there's there's a lot of development of the plot. It's not standing still. It's not spinning its wheels. 
And abandoning the mystery with the quintessence was a bit of a mistake. But overall, I think I enjoyed this one. What about you? Yeah, it was uh, it was good. Um, I'd say the, the there was more action, more uh, development of the plot. Uh, completely ignored one strand that was set up in episode one. We have no idea. Blur and Wheelie are presumably still flying to Earth quite happily with Metroplex's transformation cog because we don't see them at all in this episode. Um, but uh, yeah, the business with Galvatron being returned and the business with the Quintessons and the intriguing stuff about theft and occupying Cybertron. Yeah, there's some there's some stuff going on here. Um, and it's uh, it's intriguing, and I'm wondering. It's not clear whether any of this was in the minds of anyone when they wrote the movie, or whether somebody picked up on that sequence. Which you know, it sits in the middle of the movie and doesn't really do anything for the plot of the movie at all, other than providing somewhere for Cup and Hot Rod to be and to nick a ship, because the Quintessons have no part in the whole overall story of the movie. It's just kind of a little diversion in the middle. Yeah, from um, from what I know about the way the movie was put together, yes, there is absolutely no way that the Quintessons were intended to be what they eventually become or to have any other relationships with the Transformers or even ever be seen again. Yeah. And yet here they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's pretty damn cool. And I think I'm enjoying I'm enjoying most of the new characters, particularly Grimlock. The others, Lassie and Springer, are coming into their own after be kind of just being extras in the movie. They're, they're actually developing a bit of their own personality, which is nice to see. Yeah. And and Galvatron continues to be pretty damn cool. Yeah, definitely. He's my man of the match because he's cool. <laughs> yeah, T turning up and being madder and badder than anyone you've seen on the show so far is that's a pretty good claim to being man of the match, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Shooting your own Decepticons who came to rescue you and then blowing <laughs> up the planet that you were stranded on for a while. Yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, yeah, he's certainly shown he's got the chops. I went for my man of the match for the Five Paces of Darkness Part 2 as being Judge Deliberata for that kind of but just for that bit where he's in the in the room and he's hostage and they say we're going to kill you and he just says yep good decision i thought that was that was really <laughs> fun <laughs> yeah i like so, that yeah. that was good so we have three more faces of darkness to cover so we'll be doing two more next week and then we'll be finishing up the week after are we looking forward to what's coming up yeah, I mean, I'm I'm intrigued. Part one and part two have uh, have set some strands, story strands in motion that I'd very much like to see uh, how they conclude. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the remainder of this story. Yeah, I, I've rewatched the first two episodes. I haven't got very far ahead. I've, I haven't watched the next three, um, but I did when I did the big watch through the other a couple of years ago. I got to this point and I thought five faces more or less killed it for me i think this is a real i thought it was a fall off in quality i thought it was it was a real drop in the show but re-watching it now i'm not so sure and i'm going to be very interested to see over the next couple of weeks whether my opinion from before holds or whether i change my mind and actually say this is this is damn good fun so yeah so gonna look forward to that 
Yeah, it would be good. One other thing that I didn't mention at the time, another sound effect, when the Autobots arrive to rescue the other Autobots from Quintessa, they use the War of the Worlds 1950s heat ray sound effect to destroy the static gun emplacement. That is one of the best sound effects you can possibly use. They should be using that all the time. Oh, they should be, absolutely. It's uh, it's great to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Well, if we can if we can escape from the planet Quintessa without getting blown up, we will see you next week with two more thrilling adventures featuring the heroic Autobots, evil Decepticons, and those other guys. Until then, if somebody interrupts your bath, make sure that you kill everyone in sight and destroy the planet. Thank you and good night. <laughs> That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice. <laughs>